Thank you. You're going to regret that applause. I'm preaching about hell and money. (laughs) I'm not. Um, Thank you. I've uh, I've cherished these last five years as the leader of this congregation. They have been some of the most exciting, you know, the most exciting five years of, of my life. Uh, it was a surprise five years. Um, I, had, I had other plans for my life. I had other plans for my ministry. I had other ideas of what I felt like God should do uh, and would do with me. <clears throat> and he, he surprised me. Uh, and it was, it was an extraordinary surprise. Thank you for praying with me. Thank you for crying with me. Thank you for celebrating with me. Thank you for grieving with me. We've celebrated births and deaths. We've had cancer. We've overcome cancer. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen people physically healed. God has done miracles in our midst. And it's not a sign of who I am. It's a sign of who we are together. And it's a sign of just, it's a down payment on what's possible for us in the future as Grace Covenant Church. I knew, uh, I knew this day was, was coming, obviously, for a little while. I, I didn't know the exact date, but there was going to be a time where I was going to preach my last sermon in front of you and, um, as, as a pastor at Grace Covenant. And um, standing here today, I, I don't know any better what I should say than just to share the word with you. And so today what I want to do is I want to go from 2 Kings chapter 13. The name of the sermon, I'll give you a sermon title. How's that for a change? <laughs> Had a sermon title ahead of time. Sermon title is Strike the Ground. We're going to go from 2 Kings chapter 13 verses 14 through 19. We'll get there in just a minute. The king was facing disaster. Syria was getting ready to destroy them, and he was terrified. But the king had another problem. The prophet, the man of God, was dying. And he was aging, and so he knew that it, it looked bad. And it, so it looked like they were going to get stomped by the enemy. And the man who represented the presence and the power of God for his people was laid out. And so the king responds by going to the prophet to cry out to him, to lament, to ask for help with maybe the prayer that God would intervene on their, on their behalf just one more time before the prophet would pass away. The prophet knew something that the king didn't know, that it wasn't ever the prophet who supplied their need. It wasn't the prophet who defended them. It wasn't the prophet who, who secured their future, but that was accomplished by God himself. The, co- the, the prophet was simply the mouthpiece, the representative of it. And I feel like this is just such an appropriate passage for us today because I know that I've played a significant role in many of your lives. I've helped some of you in your marriages. I got to do a lot of weddings. I got to kiss a lot of babies. A bunch of y'all became members because you thought I was going to be the pastor forever. And it can be confusing, and we can look to the person instead of the God who the person is talking about. 
And you could think that I did something for your marriage while it was really God. Maybe I did something for your finances. It was really God. Maybe I did something in your education. It was really God. I was just a big signpost pointing towards the one who could. And Elisha, in a very similar way. Now, again, I'm not dying. I'm moving, I'm moving to Denver. And in this way, this transition is very different than a lot of the transitions we see in the Bible. A lot of the transitions have a lot of death. I'm just, if you are a plane ride, higher altitude, no death. Just Denver, right? Okay, amen. So, <laughs> but Elisha was about to die and Elisha knew this and the king didn't. So Elisha takes this moment to teach the king an important lesson, to draw something out of the king that the king didn't even know was possible. And he invites him into this moment. And this is what we see unraveling before us in these five verses. So if you could stand with me, we'll read this together. Second Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 19. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Assyrians and Aphek until you've made an end of them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you've made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, wake us up to the reality of your kingdom. Stir our hearts for your goodness and your love. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to comprehend what you have for us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk about the power of a moment, the weight of our actions, and then I want to ask the question, what's in your hands? This text captures two prophetic moments, back to back. One which is very obvious to the king and one which was not so obvious. Both of them incredibly significant, incredibly important for the king and for his kingdom's future. The first one is when he, uh, the, the prophet tells him to open the window facing eastward and he tells him fire, fire shot out the window. And then what the prophet does is he lays his hands on King Joash's hands to say, hey, I'm with you in this. This is an important moment, Joash. Don't miss it. The man of God was laying his hands and he's like, oh, this is, this is a thing. We're not just playing a game. He's laying his hands on me. It's representing the presence and the power of God being with me. I imagine Joash taking that shot a little bit more seriously than any other shot he'd ever taken before. You know, it's kind of like when you get put on the spot. 
And he's getting put on the spot and he's like, but I'm with you. You can do no wrong. I'm your man. God is with you. God is standing with you. I imagine Joash pulling that bow back further than he had ever pulled it, aiming a little more intentionally than he's ever aimed it. You know, kind of being like, here we go, prophet. I'm about to show you how far and how well and how excellently I shoot to show you how extraordinary I am. And so he fires the shot out the window in the direction of Syria and the prophet's like, well done. Good job, King Joash. You recognized the moment. You were faithful and obedient to what I told you to do, what God had inspired you to do. You shot the arrow and you're gonna have victory. Congratulations. And everybody feels a sense of relief in the room. Thank God. Victory's coming against this enemy that we couldn't take on otherwise. And then the prophet says, okay, good job. You've got victory. Now go ahead and, and strike the ground. And Joash is like, cool, I've got, I've got victory. So I'm going to strike the ground. And he's like, this victory is pretty great. I like having victory. Who else likes having a little bit of victory? Right? He's feeling really good about this. He just had this awesome moment with the prophet. God's standing behind him. God's giving him victory. He's like, man, this is great. Just how about that prophet? It was pretty good, right? You thought I shot the arrow through the window well. How about that? And the prophet's dismayed. It says that he's angry. And he shouts at him. Why did you only strike it three times? If you had struck it five or six times, you would have had complete and total victory. See, he had a margin of victory that he was satisfied with. So he just stopped. Some of us, like, some of us, are satisfied with the margin of victory that we have, so we just stop. We're not throwing pots and pans anymore in the kitchen at each other, so we just, we just stop. See, the prophet knew that there was more available to Joash yeah. than just a margin of victory, yeah. but there was a fulfilling life available to him. There was a life of wholeness, in fullness awaiting him that God desired for him to have. The first, the first shot represented a gift, something that was just given to him. The second prophetic act, the one that he didn't even realize was happening, was an act of stewardship and an act of worship. And he missed it. He missed it because it wasn't going to be as bad as he thought it was going to be. So he didn't lose his job. So he came to a place of rest and didn't advance in it. You didn't get divorced. And so now you're just living in the same house, just kind of getting by because you don't realize there's more to the gift that God's given you. There's a place of stewardship that he was invited into and he took it lightly because he didn't realize it was an important moment. Now, I imagine that if the prophet had laid his hands on him again, he would have struck until he was all out of arrows. 
You know that feeling? You know when the difference between preparing something you, you know you have to be ready for and then getting just kind of surprised and put on the spot? You ever feel that way? Somebody asks you to pray over dinner and you thought somebody else was handling it. So you're like, ah, yeah, Jesus, ah, this is food. <laughs> All of this is food before you and blessed be the name of the Lord and uh, everyone who's here. I don't even know their names. I don't know what to do. This is stressful. As opposed to if somebody told you that, hey, you're going to pray over the Thanksgiving meal, you'd maybe Google it. Like, you know, like good Thanksgiving prayers. Right? You're like, good Thanksgiving prayers. Lord, we beseech thee that you, right? So I've made it a habit out of if I'm asked to pray at a, at a, like a Thanksgiving or something like that, I always end with like, amen. Just, just for my family. Just, just in case, yeah. I don't know what they expect from the pastor to do. So I, I'm like, that's pretty pastoral, right? So... Um, nobody ever sings that with me, but if the prophet had put his hands on him again, he would have known, Hey, this is a really, this is another important moment. If somebody tells me, Hey, this is a, if somebody tells me ahead of time now, Hey, this is a really important moment. You have to be ready. Your future, your life, it depends on it. You're like, all right, let me study. Let me come ready. Concerning the arrows, if the prophet had said, hey, the number of times you strike the ground in this moment, how well you steward this moment is going to determine the fullness of the victory that you have, he would have been like, hey, call up the kingdom. Bring all the arrows. Bring them all here because we're not going to lose. This is an important moment. The question I have for us today is what victories have been lost in the prophetic moments that we didn't realize were prophetic See, I, I, had a, I had a prophetic moment a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was at the church office and I was stressed out about a whole bunch of stuff, you know, finishing my master's and trying to move and figuring out how to pastor a church in a city I'm not even in yet. And, you know, like all the things, right? And then like this was stressful because I'm like, what do you say? And so I'm looking at, I'm just stressed out. And I'm like, God, I just don't even know what to do. And so I started packing my bag. I was like, hey, okay. So I'm like folding it up and Miss Ethel's at the front desk over in the Chantilly building. Bye, Miss Ethel. I'll see you later. I was real deliberate walking out to the car. And, and I got in the car and I, I drove to the only place Place where I knew I could get the comfort that I was looking for in that moment. I went to Taco Bell for, for some, <laughs> what, I, what I have described as the back alley rusted needle version of nachos, right? You know, like a, like, you know, just a used, used needle, like, like, just like, oh, gross. Like, why would you even say that about nachos? Because it was Taco Bell nachos. It was a prophetic act. It was, a, it was a pathetic act. And I was so ashamed of it. I, I took the bag and I, I, like, I, I ate them in my car so nobody, like in the Walmart parking lot, away from everybody else facing the other direction, you know. With, and, then I, and then I ditched it in the gas station parking lot trash can. Didn't even fill up my car. Just kind of drove by, rolled down my window and shoved it in there and drove off like I was dumping a body. And... And so I was, I was dumping the evidence. And then I went back to the building and Miss Ethel's standing inside. I'm like, hey, Miss Ethel, ashamed of my, my moment because I realized when the moment was passed, I was like, that was not right. I was, I, God probably had more for me than, than that. 
<laughs> you know, there's some good nachos in the area if I really needed it, but that's not, no, that's a different idea. <laughs> I didn't need nachos. What I needed was the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and I settled. What I got was a stomach ache instead of freedom. Right? And the way that it was a prophetic act is last Sunday I preached in Sterling, in Chantilly. So on Saturday I went for a run. I was like, I'm going to go for a run so that I can be better looking, thinner, and my hair will grow back before I've got to preach the sermon on Sunday. And so I was like, you know, just a quick little, like, nothing quick when you haven't run in a little while. I was like, I'll just do this two and a half mile loop I used to do all the time. And I was like, yeah, I got it. And two miles in, my calf cramped up and then seized up and then basically dropped me to the ground. And I was like, you stupid nachos. <laughs> See, that moment, that moment right there was tied to my nachos just 10 days earlier. Because that, it, was a, it was a prophetic act that I really hated my body. <laughs> But it didn't feel like it. If, if I had been clearly thinking, it, in, in a, on my drive there, I'm sure the Holy Spirit like, told me no, but I had the radio nice and loud so I wouldn't hear him. And he, he would have been telling me, no, 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 don't do that. There's something better for you. There were actually bananas and oranges in the, in the kitchen just 15 feet from where I was studying and I had packed up from and gotten my car and driven away from. There, there were healthy resources available to me really, really close, but I drowned it out and I went after what I thought I, I needed and it, it destroyed my calf 10 days later. But if, but if I had been listening to God, I think what I probably would have heard was, was hey, what you're going to do right now is going to affect your body in a couple of weeks. What you do in your body right now is actually going to affect your body in about two hours. You're either going to be really, you're, you're either going to feel good or you're going to feel bad. And that good or bad is going to continue for a couple of weeks. So just, just pay attention, David, because what you do right now matters for your future. If he had said that, I would have gotten that banana. I would have gotten that orange. I would have gone to kava or something and eaten like rabbit food and, you know, just all the, like that lettuce that like just you can't really chew and it kind of hurts your mouth. You know, it's like, this isn't even, it doesn't taste good or feel good. Why, why, how could this be good? Yeah, that too. <laughs> Kale is a four-letter word, just for the record. <laughs> the best way to prepare kale is into the trash can. <laughs> Says me now. We don't always know when we're performing a prophetic act. You didn't know. You don't know sometimes that you're performing a prophetic act when you decided to open your Bible instead of watching a TV show. You didn't realize that your future victory was, was dependent on, on that moment and that blessings coming later because of a right decision made right now. What you might not realize is that in the worship, we just worshiped. When we were singing together and worshiping and clapping and shouting and doing that, that was a prophetic act that's bringing victory to you in your future that you don't even know about yet. You were fighting a battle that you're not even aware of yet. You don't know what bills were just paid off because of the worship you just offered. You don't know what marriage uh, problem was, was solved or removed altogether because of the worship you just lifted up. You don't know the danger that was removed because of the worship you just offered up because in that process, you performed a prophetic act that allows God to move on your behalf because he knows that you're his man, you're his woman. That gets me really excited. 
Now, the point of this is not to, for you to live in fear about the prophetic moments that you ruined. My guess is if you're anything like me, you're right now thinking about everything wrong you've done in the last couple of weeks. You're like, shoot. <laughs> Can we worship again? Can we get a do-over? Because I was in my fields. I was having a bad worship service. I wasn't on my game. I wasn't there. It wasn't, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready. If you know that, that was a prophetic act that you need to repent of too. <laughs> If you know what I was talking about. If you don't know what I was talking about, you're pure and wonderful. And, or you listen to bad white comedians, which you're not pure or anything. It's just, it's just a different flavor of another bad. Sorry, Pastor Eddie. That second prophetic act was an act of worship. I want to ask the question um, concerning the weight of our actions. What keeps you from striking the ground with the arrows? Why don't you strike the ground? Now here's the thing about us striking the ground. In Jesus, we serve a better king than Joaz. Jesus shot the arrow with his life and struck the ground with his life death, and resurrection. So every arrow we strike is already from a place of victory. Jesus lived a perfect life and died on our behalf and then rose from the dead because he, because he had lived a perfect life and, and it, it didn't make any sense for him to stay dead because the wages of sin is death. Now, if you've never sinned, then you can't stay dead. You tracking? And so, so Jesus rises from the dead so that we start from a place of victory when we find ourselves in him. We, re, we, we receive him as our Lord and Savior. We fire that first arrow of repentance and we have salvation. From here, we enter into a place of stewardship and worship from a place of victory. Are you tracking? Victory is available to us. So we're not striking the ground to earn our victory. We're, we're striking the ground because victory is ours. And so that makes me wonder sometimes, why don't I strike the ground? I'll just talk about myself. Sometimes I, I don't strike the ground because nobody else is striking the ground. I don't see anybody else being called to strike the ground the way I'm striking the ground. Other people can watch that show and seem to be okay. I watch that show, it destroys my soul. Some people can listen to that music and they're okay. I can't listen to that music. And yet I don't see anybody else striking the ground the way God's invited me to strike the ground. And so I start to feel insecure about my striking of the ground because it just doesn't seem to make sense. Sometimes we don't strike the ground because we're afraid to apologize. We're afraid of being brought low. We're afraid of the death that it's going to cause. It's like the micro death that comes when you repent to someone. You know those micro deaths? They're like a thousand a day. You know, where you're like, man, I could, I could really give it to this person or I could die to myself. I could repent because I gave it to that person and die to myself or I could just leave it out there and rot alive. The good thing about these micro deaths that we experience in the Christian life is that we serve a resurrected king and every death we experience has resurrection on the other side. 
So when you have to repent to someone, when you have to apologize for doing something wrong, for acting wrongly, and it feels like death, you don't have to worry about it because there's resurrection on the other side of every death that a believer has. So when you've got to go and you've got to pay that bill, that bill that nobody else knows about, but you're going to pay it, or you've got to take those groceries back that they forgot to charge you for, Right, those prophetic acts where you do the high moral spiritual thing and you go in and you take it on the chin and it costs you more than, it th- than you thought it was going to cost you. Both relationally or emotionally or spiritually or financially or physically, it costs you more. There's resurrection on the other side every single time in Jesus. I am, I'm like yelling because I'm excited, not mad. I hope you're hearing like excitement. It's just they, like there were like there was like excite there's like an excitement beard on the congregation right here like a goatee maybe where it's like the ex- anyway <laughs> maybe maybe you're satisfied with what you've already got right so maybe it's not that just nobody else is striking the ground but maybe you're satisfied with the margin of victory that you've already have and you're like it's good enough I'm not in trouble at my job anymore my wife's not threatening divorce anymore. I'm, things are, things are, meh, I'm making it, I'm all right. I think C.S. Lewis talked about, we so easily are entertained with mud pies on the shore because we can't even imagine or conceive of a cruise and vacation to a distant land. See, sometimes we get so satisfied with the margin of victory that we have, we miss out on the fullness of the life that God desires for us to have. He didn't realize that there was more for him because he had been been near God's person, but he didn't draw near to God himself. Right? His reaction was to run to the person who knew God. He didn't have a relationship with God of his own where he could say, hey, prophet, I, I was just talking to God. And I experienced this thing, and I've got this clarity. I know we're being attacked. I know you're dying, but, but I believe that God's with us. Can you, can you stand with us, prophet? He was among God's people, but he himself didn't have a relationship. And that's some of us in this room this morning. You've been around the church. You've relied on maybe me or, or JC or Pastor Eddie or Pastor Jermaine, and, and you've relied on God's people to, to triangulate you, but you haven't yet stepped up to the person of God himself and said, hey, can you help me? God, I surrender to you because you're the one I want. And that was Joe Ash's problem. Maybe you struck the ground before and you didn't see the results that you expected. I just want to encourage you that God operates on a different timeline than us. And so just because you didn't see the results you expected in the time frame that you expected it, it doesn't mean that God's not faithful to fulfill his promise. It just means he hasn't fulfilled that promise yet. Sometimes we misunderstand the promise and we think it's going to be a different thing. And sometimes it's just that God's operating on a different timetable than we are, but it doesn't mean that he's not faithful And so if God hasn't yet met you in a place where you've stopped striking the ground, I want to encourage you, strike the ground. Striking the ground didn't defeat the enemy. It was just his opportunity to participate with God in the victory that God wanted to give him. Striking the ground didn't kill a single person. Can we agree on that? 
Striking the ground, hitting the dirt didn't actually solve anything. And that's actually a problem that a lot of people have with prayer today. Is they're like, why are you praying? Because there's a, because of a hurricane, how about you do something? Right? Because they don't see going into the prayer closet to be effective at meeting the needs of people out there. Right? But that's because we, we don't, we don't that's, it's a spiritual understanding. It's a spiritual revelation that when we pray and when we strike the ground, God moves on our behalf. Yeah, going into the closet didn't give somebody $5 to go buy a bucket to bail out their house. But what it did do is it mobilized the God of the universe who supplies every need according to his riches and glory and has a whole body of believers throughout the world that can be mobilized to do a thing. Maybe the victory that's coming or the victory that has come was related to somebody in their prayer closet. And so we go into our prayer closet and we strike the ground to show that we believe that God is going to move on our behalf. And we also put feet to it, right? Prayer changes. It moves the heart of God toward the thing that we're praying for, but also changes us so that we can be a, a, a more of a benefit to the world that needs it so desperately. I want to ask the question, what's in your hand? He wasn't asked, the king wasn't asked to, to use something that he wasn't familiar with, something that he didn't have accessible to him. Use an arrow. Grab the arrows. In a different era, it would have been a different weapon. In a different place, it would have been a different item. If they were, if they were moved from there to another, to another spot, the, the prophet would have used whatever was there. If they were among rocks, I imagine the prophet would have said, pick up the rocks. Throw it out in that direction. Now strike the ground with the rocks. I want to ask the question today. What is in your hands that God has given you to utilize as an act of stewardship and worship in order that God can move on your behalf and invite you into greater measures of victory? What is it? Is it resources that you have? Is it skill sets that you have? Is it relationships that you have? that you've been using for your benefit, but you haven't yet utilized it. You haven't yet struck the ground with those things so that God could move on your behalf. For all of us, we have at least the gift of attendance. You're here today. That's a gift. And if you worship with us, and if you join your faith to us, and if you join your energy and your effort and your zeal to what God is doing through this house, there's victory available for people you don't even know in generations you'll never see. Because of what happens this morning. Because of the way you're striking the ground with the things that God has given you, there's liberty and joy and freedom and wholeness coming to people you may never have the privilege of knowing. And that might bring you a lot of joy or a little bit of frustration, right? You're kind of like, oh, this is stupid. I don't, don't even know him. That's not fun. Or maybe it gets you excited. Because God's bigger than we imagine him to be. What are the arrows that God has given you? Now, in Jesus, we got a weapons upgrade from arrows. And we're informed of some of these weapons in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul lists off six weapons that we can pick up. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can ex extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. 
and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. My estimation is that if you strike three of these, you can pick any three, you'll experience a greater measure of victory than you're experiencing now. But if you take up all six of them, you take up that shield of faith, that helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, readiness given by the gospel of peace. And you wage war with them by worshiping God. You wage war with them by praying. All of these weapons prepare us to pray so that God can move mightily on our behalf. Jesus has already dealt the death blow to the enemy. He's already done that. What we're being invited to is a greater measure of life and victory. I want to invite you to strike the ground with me this morning. If, if you haven't yet fired the first arrow, if you're far from God, and I talk about victory, I talk about peace, I talk about uh, a shame-free life, and you're like, that is so foreign to me, but I want it. We call it, the call, we call it the prayer of salvation. We call it a lot of different things. If you're far from God and you want to be brought near to him today by faith, I want to pray with you. Can you raise your hand if that's you today and you're like, man, I, I've been far from God. Today I want to come near. And in a moment, we're all going to pray together and we're going to strike the ground. Sorry, that's great. So I'd ask that you stand to your feet with me. What is your Syria? What is the enemy that's encroaching on you that you've been fearful of, that you're afraid is going to destroy you? Maybe you got a couple of them. Maybe you feel like there's one in every single direction. That's where it's great that we serve a God that's bigger than us. Because while our attention can be turned in one direction, his capacity is infinite. What I want to do is I want you to identify the enemy that you're afraid is going to destroy you. And we're going to strike the ground this morning in this moment. Could you play something like more aggressive? <laughs> something really aggr like aggressive. <laughs> something, it's not, it's, it's just powerful. It's not awkward. Something like death metal. Because we're going to stomp the devil's head. <laughs> Just whatever comes to you. All right, I know I've gone long, but that's tradition. <laughs> tradition? <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, in this moment, we recognize and honor your sovereignty in all things. As your people, we come to you in this moment God, and we, we bring to you, not to any man of God, not to any representative of you, but we bring to you, we bring to your feet the things that we fear would destroy us. God, this right now in this moment, we bring to you our addictions, 
Right now in this moment, we lay relationships down before you. Right now, we lay down before you our, those prophetic acts uh, that were sinful, that were far from you, that were in rebellion against you, God. We lay those before you and we strike the ground before you, God, and we ask that you would bring to us a full measure of victory. God, we thank you for the life that you've given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have won for us a shame-free, guilt-free life of victory. God, we celebrate that in your presence there is fullness of life and gladness and joy. God, we come into your presence and we strike the ground before you with our faith, with our zeal, with our passion, with our worship, with our hearts, with our words, with our clapping, with our shouting, with our jumping, with our hope, with our hope, with our hope, God. We cry out to you and we ask that you would move on our behalf, that you would heal our marriages, you would heal our children, you would bring back the the prodigal sons, you would bring back our prodigal daughters. Jesus, that you would move on our behalf and you would usher us into the victory, into the life that you have for us. Jesus, we strike the ground before you this morning, aware of the significance of moments, aware of the power of our actions and of what you've done on our behalf. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lay all this out before you and we ask that you move mightily. Set us free from the things that entangle us. Set us free from the bondage that, that pulls us and draws us away from your presence. God, allow us to walk in the forgiveness that you've given to us at such great expense. Give us the freedom and the privilege and the courage to walk closely to you. As you unfold a series of new prophetic acts in front of us, God, instead of turning on the TV, we'll open our Bible. Instead of buying the next new thing, that we don't need, God, that we'll, we'll give that to someone in need. God, I thank you for your invitation to be your people and your invitation. God, to see you move mightily on our behalf. In Jesus' name, we worship you. We thank you. We celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.